The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. This morning we'd like to continue our consideration of the kingdom of heaven and particularly focusing on the parable of the sower. We've been making our way through the various soils in the parable of the sower and this morning we have arrived at the thorny ground. So I'd ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 and Jesus delivers this parable beginning in verse 3. Behold a sower went forth to sow and when he sowed some seeds fell by the wayside and the fowls came and devoured them up and some fell upon the stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. But when the sun was up and they were scorched, but, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground. Some brought forth fruit, uh, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. He, <clears throat> he who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And Jesus explains this parable for us. And I've told you a couple times that we could call this the parable of the soils because it focuses on the soils. But uh, Jesus actually entitled this in verse 18 the parable of the sower. So I'm very comfortable calling this the parable of the sower because that's what Jesus called it. Uh, even though it does focus primarily on the different aspects of the four soils. So here you therefore the parable of the sower. And we'll go ahead and skip down to verse 22 that deals with the thorny ground as he explains the thorny ground. <clears throat> Matthew 13 and 22. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. So first of all, we again see the characteristic of this third ground. The thorny ground is that they hear the word. They have ears to hear. They have a regenerated heart with spiritual ears to hear the message of the gospel and those spiritual things. So they hear the word. But over time, there are some thorns that begin to choke out the fruitfulness in their life. And notice here, it says they choke the word. The thorns entangle this child of God. They, they uh, choke out the word and he becometh unfruitful. Now, it's evident that you can't become unfruitful unless you're fruitful, right? So this whole discussion of, you know, are these children of God or not? One more just rock solid, simple example here in the thorny ground is that they bring forth fruit. Every child of God is going to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in some aspect in their life. It's not always going to be perfectly visible to our eye or perfectly visible in our limited interactions with them, but those evidences will be exhibited. But he becometh unfruitful. He's bringing forth fruit, but there's some things that quench his abundant fruit. 
Uh, now I'd like to go to Luke chapter 8 and look at some language over there in Jesus' explanation that I believe is very important. <clears throat> Luke chapter 8 and in verse 14 as he's explaining this parable of the sower and the thorny ground. Verse 14. And that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard they go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring forth no fruit to perfection. Okay, now that's important. First of all, they are bringing forth fruit, but they get choked out to where they can become unfruitful. But then it says here that they bring no fruit to perfection or maturity. We're talking about fruit. So have you ever went out to so an apple tree or a peach tree and and you're expecting a nice, full, ripe, full-grown fruit, but then you realize that all that fruit is not full-grown, right? That, that, that fruit is made to be fully mature, but that, that fruit is not going to taste very good if it's not maturing properly, right? So they bring forth no fruit, not that they are unregenerate false professors, that they're bringing forth no fruit. No, they're bringing forth fruit. But they're not bringing forth fruit to maturity, to perfection or maturity. And they are bringing forth fruit, but over time they let things creep in to choke out their fruitfulness. And this is arguably uh, one of the most relevant discussions for us here in the church today. Because um, the wayside, those are children of God that they hear the word, but they don't understand it. And at least at that point in their life, they don't join the church. But then the stony ground, they, they hear it, and they receive it with joy, and they get excited about it, and they join the church. But over time, when things get hot, they fall away. And all of you are here this morning, so you're not, at least at this point in your walk of discipleship, you're not the wayside, and you're not stony ground, right? You're here. You're here this morning. You're, you're pursuing Christ, and you're pressing into the kingdom. But... Not only are all of us, if we are not active and proactive and diligent to beat back these thorns, we are all susceptible to have these thorns quench our fruitfulness. Because I would say that this, this thorny ground is describing someone who has is, who is not uh, addressed these thorns at all and they reach a point where they become almost totally unfruitful. But I, I think that we can make a strong case that the reason why there's a difference of fruitfulness even in the good ground, right? There's a 100-fold, there's 60-fold, and there's 30-fold. Well, what's the difference between 100-fold and 30-fold? How can you, uh, there are some people that can be bringing forth good fruit. They can be 60 or 100-fold, but we see them being choked out with the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. How is it that you are reducing your amount of fruit in the good ground. It's most likely by these thorns. So what I'm saying is this thorny ground is not just people that get totally overwhelmed and to become totally unfruitful. No, these thorns can reduce our profitability even in the good ground, right? That's the main reason of why we begin to reduce our fruit and why we begin to backslide in the good ground is because we are not dealing properly with these perils of the thorny ground. And we know from 
nature, we know from the natural disposition of thorns that if you don't do anything, thorns grow naturally, right? So if you think that you can put your discipleship on autopilot, you can put it on cruise control, I'm not going to be proactive, I'm not going to be diligent, I'm just going to straddle the fence, I'm going to put it in neutral, I'm going to try not to offend anybody, I'm going to be friends with the world and go to church, I'm going to be friend of the world and friend of Christ, and I'm just going to stick right in the middle, and I'm not going to be actively pursuing Christ. If you don't do anything, what grows up in this world? Thorns come up naturally. Do you understand that? And so if you don't do anything, you will be choked out. That's what we need to understand. If you don't proactively get rid of the thorns, the thorns are growing no matter what because no one is isolated. These four characteristics of thorns we want to highlight this morning. Four characteristics. We saw two of them there in Matthew. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and then in Luke, the pleasures of this life. And then in Mark, the lust of other things. Those four things, all right? The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the pleasures of this life, and the lust of other things. And that applies to every single child of God. There's not a single child of God that is not affected by some degree of those four thorns, okay? And if we are not active in beating back those thorns, they will quench our fruitfulness in the kingdom to some degree. Now, we hope if we're vigilant in the manner that we ought to, they don't totally quench us. They, they ought not. We have everything at our disposal to beat back the, these thorns. Primarily, uh, if you're going to beat back thorns, you're going to have to have a very good blade, a very sharp blade. And what do we have? We have the sword of the Spirit, right, to get rid of these thorns. We have what we need, but we, we have to be proactive and beating back these thorns. Because if we put it on autopilot, the thorns will grow. All right? Satan is very crafty and wily and deceptive. But he's also very smart. We've been going through this on the radio in spiritual warfare and examining our enemies and examining Satan and examining his devices. And I would certainly encourage you to get caught up on those messages if you have not heard them. But Satan is smart enough, and he, is, and he has enough case studies, he has enough examples in the past, that when I persecute the church, when, when I use governments or when I use uh, wicked unregenerates or the world, when, when, I, when I persecute the church, really what happens is the kingdom grows, the kingdom thrives. And we find here that that kind of persecution is effective against the stony ground person, the one who hears the gospel, they get excited about it, they join the church, but they don't have the deepness of earth yet, right? They haven't had their roots grow down deep yet. They don't have enough moisture. They're not mature as a Christian. So what do they do when persecution comes? Well, they just they throw in the towel. They, they fade away. They fall away. But what does the mature Christian do? What does the mature Christian do that knows the Word of God? What do they do in the midst of tribulation and persecution? If you know the Word of God, then in the midst of tribulation, your response should be, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Your response should be Romans chapter 5. We rejoice in tribulations. Why? Because tribulation 
They build patience and patience experience and experience hope. We know in the Beatitudes, blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness sake. So, so a mature Christian can look at these things that are coming in my life. The, the stony ground person, they fall away. But the mature Christian that knows the word of God, you can say, wow, this can be a great opportunity for me to grow closer to the Lord, to uh, purge away any dross that may be in my life, to where I can be a vessel that's more meat for the master's use. So that's the kind of... Uh, perspective that a mature Christian has in the midst of persecution and you will find in history the church always thrives and grows in the midst of persecution. Always. What happened the very first time that the original church endured persecution and they hauled off, this is in Acts chapter 4 and Peter and the other apostles they're dragging them off to prison. First time the apostles were, were thrown in prison. They're dragging them off to prison. And what's ha what happens at the same time they're being dragged off to go to prison? 5,000 men said, I want to join the church. That's what happens. <laughs> That's what happens in persecution. So Satan is smart. He sees over time that when I lay down the hammer, when I use wicked governmental leaders to persecute them, and, and uh, you, you all need to... Uh, on and read Fox's Book of Martyrs, by the way. You need to realize how blessed we have been in America with the providential hedge of the First Amendment of freedom of religion because that has been an abnormality in the history of the church. And you need to read the kind of suffering that Fox's Book of Martyrs presents. Of This is the natural disposition of the world in antagonism that wants to kill the church. That's the way the world normally operates. But we've had this, this amazing providential hedge and bubble, and now that bubble is beginning, or at least beginning to deflate. It's not busted yet, praise God. Uh, I hope that First Amendment continues to be upheld, but it's starting to deflate a little bit. But if you study history and you study those persecutions, you will find now, now that our external life is, will, will be more challenging. There's no doubt about that in the midst of persecution. But the church always grows and thrives in the midst of persecution. And Satan has seen that enough to where he realizes that persecution is a great opportunity to burn away the dross and to grow the church. So what is Satan's, arguably his best tactic? It is the cares of this world, it's the pleasures of this life. It is us getting so consumed and busy with the things of this world that we lose sight of seeking the kingdom of God first and foremost in our life. Satan has learned that persecution is not always the most effective means of hurting the church because the church is normally going to grow in the midst of that. Instead, the best thing that I can do is allow them to have great prosperity and keep them so busy that they don't have time to put the kingdom of God first and foremost in our life. And I want you to understand that is the reality of where we are at in Christianity as a whole in America. I'm not necessarily talking about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church. I know you and praise God for your good ground discipleship. But I'm talking about in Christianity today, Satan is not always a fiery 
dragon that is going to be evident, uh, evidently spotted and make it so evident of what he's doing. No, what does he do? He's wily, he's deceptive, and his goal is to quench the fruit. So what does he do? He focuses on these thorns. You know, Satan's always in, uh, involved with thorns, isn't he? You remember um, Paul having his thorn in the flesh and a singular thorn? Well, that was attributed, that was the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. You remember back in the garden that the result of Satan's deception of Adam and Eve and the sin of them there in the garden, part of that curse, let's go back there to Genesis chapter 3, as he cursed the serpent. And then he says in Genesis 3 and in verse 17, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, thou hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. So, the reason why we have thorns is because of sin. Do you understand that? The reason why this world does not, I, I just can't fathom how the Garden of Eden must have been, uh, that some little seed fell on the ground and it just immediately sprouted up this perfect plant. They didn't have to get rid of weeds. They didn't have to fertilize. They didn't have to put up a fence, you know, to, to keep deer out and all this other stuff. I mean, you got to work hard to... Uh, to get rid, to try to hold off all the, the things that prevents you from having a good crop, right? I can't imagine how the Garden of Eden was, but now, now the result of sin, the result of a cursed earth is what? That thorns, this is what I want you to understand, thorns come up naturally, naturally. The natural disposition of this world is that thorns are going to come up, and if you don't beat back thorns... I don't think any of you are city slickers around here. I, I think we all have, have been in the country enough to know that if you don't beat back thorns, they will choke out everything around them, right? <clears throat> My great aunt, Laverne Stewart, she lived just down the road from us and she got Alzheimer's and her, uh, her property kind of went into disre disrepair and uh, my mom took power of attorney for her and um, her home. They ended up remodeling it, and I rented it before I moved down here to Starkville. But her house had got in such disrepair because of her, her mental decline uh, that all around the house was just totally overgrown with thorns and thistles and, and everything. And it was years of of doing what? How did it get that way? Did she fertilize those thorns? I mean, you got to fertilize the good stuff to get it to grow. Do you have to fertilize thorns? <laughs> you don't have, no, they come up naturally, don't they? 
And you want to know the reason why, and it took me six months of just about every single weekend. I, I don't even want to know how many hours I spent getting rid of that whole brush. And, th and then finally I got rid of it. And now she's passed away and they rent that house. And, and I, I tell them, you know, that's their business up there now. But I said, y'all better keep that thing mowed and you better keep that thing uh, under control because I put way too many hours into that thing for y'all to not do anything and it get overgrown again. And and that, But routine maintenance, once you get rid of the thorns, right, routine maintenance can keep them under control. But boy, when they start growing up, if you leave them unchecked for a long period of time, boy, it's hard work. It is hard work to get rid of those thorns. You see, it is hard work. 2 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth, and this is the word that I want you to have a word picture in your mind of. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Listen, we're in the world, but we are not of the world. Okay? And if you get entangled this is talking about the ministry. Those that preach the gospel should live of the gospel primarily to the best of your ability. And if you get entangled with the affairs of this life, boy, it is going to choke your fruitfulness. And boy, it's hard when you get tangled up. Sometimes it's hard to get untangled, isn't it? It's hard to get out of that. Oh man, that worth entangleth himself. You get entangled in all these thorns and thistles. So the best way to keep these thorns at bay is routine maintenance, right? Routine maintenance. Because if you don't, if you just let them run out of control, man, it's going to take so many challenges to, to purge them out and get back to the fruitfulness that you used to have in the past. Let's go to 2 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And we see here the growth of discipleship that all children of God should be engaging in. Uh, our discipleship is not pre-programmed. It's not predestinated along with regeneration. You, you receive the new birth, and along with that, you receive the guarantee of godly discipleship. No, it says here, beside this, giving all diligence. You have to be vigilant. You have to be diligent. Add to your faith virtue. So first of all, you have faith. We know that faith is the gift of God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's it's one of the uh, beginning building blocks that you have at regeneration. But then if you are not proactively growing, you understand, right, that there is no status quo. There, there is no neutral in discipleship. To a large degree, you are either growing or you are backsliding at every single day, every single moment in your life. You are either growing or you're backsliding because you want to know what, you, what you're actually doing if you think you're staying put? Thorns are growing. Thorns are growing. You're, you're backsliding if you think you're staying put. Why? Because the natural disposition of this world is decay. It's fading away. The natural disposition of this world is thorns, right? So if you think that I'm staying exactly where I'm at, and I'm not proactively pushing forward, you're letting those thorns grow under your feet. Okay? You have to be proactive. And what he's saying right here is you need to be growing. You need to be growing. God 
gives you everything that you need. He dealt unto man, every man, the measure of faith. He gives you what you stand in need of. But then it is up to us, by the enabling strength and grace of God, to study and to grow. Because how pitiful, and I, and I know people like this, that are no more spiritually mature now than they were 30 years ago when they joined the church. They're still babes in Christ. These are 60-year-old men that are babes in Christ that, are been, that have been too entangled with the affairs of this world. And you know there's something wrong with a child if there was a 20 or 30-year-old that was still wanting milk and wasn't eating full-grown meals, right? Boy, that would be indicator of a big problem, right? Part of the growth of discipleship is that God gives you faith. God gives you everything you need in the new birth, but then you have to grow. You add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. The pinnacle there of faithful discipleship is agape love, self-sacrificial love and charity. Remember, what did Jesus say? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. That is the pinnacle of discipleship. By what? By the way you love one another. Love is the pinnacle of godly discipleship. Now, if these things, notice all these ifs, right? It's not a guarantee. God's not pre-programmed it. We have to be diligent. We have to be diligent to beat back these thorns. For if these things be in you and abound, right? And abound. Bear forth much fruit. They be in you and abound. They make you that you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there are many children of God that aren't proactively engaging God's word and attending public worship and fellowshipping with the saints, and they're not growing. They're not growing. They're not adding to their faith, pressing toward charity, pressing toward the pinnacle of agape love. And what's happening? They're not exhibiting the fruitfulness that they ought to. And some of them are so choked out that they become barren. Barren or unfruitful. Now, just in case you get concerned that these aren't children of God again, right? <laughs> Oh, no, oh, no, we're talking about false professors again. Let's make sure we keep reading. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see or far off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. These have been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, they have looked into the perfect law of liberty and they have forgotten what manner of man they were, that they had forgotten where God had brought them from. Wherefore, the, the rather brethren, give diligence. You've got to work hard at this. You've got to work hard to get rid of thorns. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. Make your calling and election sure. Now, do you need to confirm to God? You need to make sure to God that he called you and that he chose you. Do you need to make sure to God your calling and election? <laughs> of course not, right? No, the Lord knoweth them that are his. That covenant was sealed, signed, and delivered before the foundation of the world. That covenant of redemption was completed before he even created this world. But I'll tell you, if you 
don't grow, if you choose to allow those thorns to grow and you become barren and unfruitful, there are many children of God that have no internal peace. That's justification by faith internally in the conscience. That they have no internal peace. Why? Because they're not living godly in the manner that they ought to. And then also, you're not giving the people around you in justification by works in the courtroom of public opinion and the opinion of others. You're not giving others confidence in your election either. Now, the other end of that is remember those Thessalonians that Paul said, I know, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Why? Why did he have a confidence and an assurance of their election? Because the gospel came unto you, not in word only, but in power and in much assurance. And not only that, not only did you confess Christ, but then I saw the actions to back it up. You turned from idols to serve the, the living and the true God. But you see, we have to be diligent to grow in discipleship because if we are not, we can become barren or unfruitful. And then what's the end result here? Now, these are children of God that are purged from their sins. They're bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. But he says, if you do these things, if you shall never fall. To say there's no possibility that a child, we established that uh, in the stony ground last week, right? A child of God can fall from steadfast discipleship if you're not growing, if you're not diligent to grow, to add these things to your faith. Okay, so now let's focus specifically on these four thorns that we are susceptible to allow to grow in our life, that we have to be proactive to beat back the thorns of this world. First of all, being the cares of this world. And I, I hope that you can see that there is no one that is excluded from having to deal with with these three thorns. There is no one that is excluded from not having the cares of this world bog down your mind and be a heaviness and a bondage to you that will distract you and prevent you from seeking the kingdom of God first and first and foremost in your life. This, these are natural thorns that every child of God has to deal with. Now, the way they manifest themselves can look a lot different in our individual lives, right? But none of us are isolated from not having to deal with the cares of this world. <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 6, we have this encouragement, <clears throat> which before we make our way down to the, the cares, the next one is the deceitfulness of riches. And he says... Uh, earlier on, lay not up, verse 19, lay not up for yourselves, this is in Matthew chapter 6, uh, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth, uh, moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your true treasures here in this world should be in the kingdom of heaven. They, they, I say treasures in this world, but our treasures in our life. Your treasure shouldn't be in the world. Your treasure should be in the kingdom of heaven. That God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Lay up for those treasures. So then he says in verse 24, No man can serve two masters, 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now that gets to the deceitfulness of riches. And that word mammon there in your uh, King James Bible, if you have a center column reference, it's not just money. Like money is, money is neutral, all right? Money is just something you have to have to transact business in this world. You, it's not that you can't serve God in money. Money, There's no problem with money if you use it properly. But that word mammon means riches. You cannot serve God in riches. You can't. You can't pursue wealth by means of covetousness and, um, and truly serve God. So then he goes on to say, Therefore, verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not life more than meat, and the body than raiment? He, he reemphasizes this. He says, look, God takes care of the fowls of the air. God takes care of the lilies of the field. Why are you concerned if he takes that good care of, of uh, birds and plants that are not his children? He didn't send his son to die for birds, right? No, he sent his son to die for you. He didn't send his son to, to die for lilies. He sent his son to die for you. So why should you ever doubt that God's going to care for what you stand in need of? And then he reemphasizes the same thing in verse 31. And notice he's saying, take no thought. That doesn't mean you don't plan ahead. That doesn't mean you don't literally have any, every action we take is based on a, a thought. I mean, you, you plan ahead. You make good decisions. But that literally means don't worry about it. Don't, worry, don't be consumed with the care of, uh, literally in verse 31, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or wherewith shall we be clothed? For your heavenly Father knoweth you have need of all these things. And we all know Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 very well. And I hope that you've memorized this. If not, you need to get on it. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And that's a great verse to know and a great verse to be reminded of. But you, you understand, right, the context in which this is presented for us. It's presented in the context of trusting God in the daily activities of life and not being overly concerned and fearful about am I going to be able to meet the basic necessities of life? No, God has promised. He's going to take care of you. Now, in America, though, we have risen the bar so high that we think that for some reason God owes us not just a roof over our head, but a nice 3,000 square foot house. Not just good transportation, but three vehicles. Not just food on our plate, but the ability to go eat at a fancy restaurant. Not just uh, the, the, uh, the convenience of loving your family at home, but having an expensive vacation and go to Disney World once a year. We have just been so spoiled in America that we have lost sight of what God has promised us. He hasn't promised us excess. What's he promised us? Well, we need food and raiment. And, and there are very few, and I'd probably be right up at the top of the list, honestly. I would need some, some growing in discipleship that if God only gave me a daily ration of food and drink and raiment and shelter, there's a lot of 
American Christians, and I probably would be too, that would not be content with that. We'd be pretty bitter with that. Why? Because we've got used to so much more. Okay? There are so many pressures and concerns of God's children that are so relevant other than just, I don't think any of you are going out with the true desire to gain all this money, to become famous worldwide, and to have a mansion. The deceitfulness of riches is not about wanting to be on the, on the front page of a Forbes magazine of the world's richest person. That's not the point. The point is, are you, pers- are you putting the pursuit of the things of the world, and particularly finances, ahead of the Lord? Okay? You know, if you have the opportunity, you could justify in your own mind, you know, gas is it's 450 around here, but nationwide average, over $5 a gallon. First time it's ever been like that. Inflation is the highest it's been in 40 years. Man, it's so expensive to live, and it is expensive to live. You know what? Now I have this opportunity to take a job, and I'm not going to be able to go to Wednesday night services. I'm not going to be able to go to Bible studies, and I'm only going to be able to go to church about once out of every four weeks. But you know what? I have to take that job. I have to uh, take this money because that's the only way I can provide for my family. Listen. You put the kingdom of God first and foremost, and the God who used loaves and fishes to feed 5,000 people, well, he's going to take care of your family. You know what you may have to cut, though? Let's get real for a minute. You may have to cut that nice vehicle. You may have to cut that nice vacation that you've become accustomed to. But God is going to take care of your needs. And you do not take a job that demotes the kingdom of God in your family's life just because you're trying to self-justify in your mind. I mean, you're not even trying to get rich, but your mindset is, i got to take care of my family. Listen, God's going to take care of your family, all right? God's going to take care of your family, but you put the kingdom of God first in your life, and he's going to take care of the finances. You know, God's in control of all the money of this world. He's going to give you what you need. But we really need to recalibrate about what a need is and not what we've been accustomed to here in America. Verse 34, take no thought for the morrow. Don't be overly concerned about what tomorrow has. Why? Because <laughs> there's plenty of cares of this world to worry about today. I mean, uh, for, the, for the morrow shall take thought uh, for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Your shoulders are not big enough and your mind is not wired to feel the burdens of all of the hypothetical possibilities of what may happen tomorrow. You you can't handle that. What do you do? You give it over to the Lord, put the kingdom of God first and foremost, and and say, no, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You give it over to the Lord. Okay? Cares of this world. Um, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Be careful for nothing. That doesn't mean that you don't look both ways when you cross the street, right? No. Don't be full of care. Don't, don't worry to the degree of true excuse me, fear and anxiety to where it is affecting your decision making and even affecting your physical health, right? Be careful for nothing. Don't worry about 
all of the, the problems, the possible problems and more. But with the release valve that we let go of that burden. But in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. That's how you release the thorn of the cares of this world, right? You give it to God. You give it to God and know that he is going to care for, uh, for what you stand in need of. Okay, the deceitfulness of riches. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And he actually says here in the few verses leading up to this, godliness with contentment is great gain. We had an extended series on learning contentment. And it's very interesting, the Lord laid that on my heart right at the beginning of COVID. <laughs> we'll talk about having to uh, recalibrate and realign what contentment is like when we were not allowed to leave the house for a couple months and and. Uh, all of the economic ripple effects of shutting down the economy and all this stuff, it, we have to learn contentment. But what's true contentment, though? Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and certainly we can carry nothing out. But let us, having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. I, I, I doubt that many American Christians at all would truly be content with food and raiment. And I may be right up at the top. But that's what God has promised us. And we should be content with what we need. You know, I heard people say um, back in the Depression, or especially in the years after that Depression, um, you, don't know, you, don't know any, you don't know you're poor unless you know people that are rich. And I heard so many people say, you know, they had big families, they worked on the farm, uh, everybody around them, uh, was just like them and now in hindsight they could say you know we were so poor we didn't have anything but but we were happy and we loved one another and but why were they content because everyone around them was just as poor as they were so they didn't know any different right they, they didn't know to be content <laughs> it's interesting right you have to learn to be content well you really have to learn to be content after this whole world has taught you to not be content i mean that the whole purpose of of the majority of of television, the whole reason they have television, by the way, surely you know this, right? The only reason, only reason they have television, the only reason why Google and Facebook, the only reason why they have is for advertising money. That's the only reason, the only purpose for it is advertising money. And they have all these billions of dollars of advertisement to make you discontent. <laughs> but I tell you, those those uh, people back in the depression on the farm, and they they didn't know where their next meal was coming from. Guess what they, didn't, what they didn't have teaching them to be discontent? They didn't have television. They didn't have all these ads popping up on your phone that's teaching you to be discontent. So since they weren't being taught to be discontent, they were really happy and content because they didn't know anything else. But it's really hard when you've known other things, right? You've seen prosperity. Okay. Verse 9. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil which some have coveted after and have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Understand, money is binary. but Money is neutral. But the covetousness of money is the root of all evil. Well, I'll tell you, if you're covetous, and you want wealth at all, uh, at all costs. You know the movies kind of 
portray this some, but but it, it happens that they're going to uh, not only are they going to try to manipulate if you're a public company, you're going to manipulate your earnings report. Why? Because you're compensated by stock. And then somebody tries to whistleblow, and you know what? I'm not going to allow them to uh, prevent me from getting all these stock options that are going to make me millions of dollars. They'll kill people for doing that. I mean, that happens. That's real life, all right? What's the, what's the root cause of all that? Covetousness. Covetousness. It's the root. You, you let that seed grow, and boy, there are all kinds of sin that are going to grow from that covetousness. Now, I think Paul is speaking from personal experience, and I've seen this too. I, I have seen people choked out with busyness and with travel baseball and with all the things of this world that, that appeared to be good ground. And you know what? They don't even come to church anymore. Why? Because they're too busy on the travel ball circuit. They're too busy doing all the things of this world, and they have chosen, some people have chosen jobs that now they can't come to church half the time, and then if you can't come to church half the time, you're too lazy to get up and come the, the rest of the time when you're off work. I have seen people that have chosen the cares of this world and chosen the deceitfulness of riches, and they are unprofitable in the kingdom. They're totally unprofitable in the kingdom. And I think Paul knew some people like this too. He said, not that these were false professors. No, they erred from the faith. They were in the faith. They were bringing forth fruit. But then they became unfruitful. Why? Because they let the thorn of the deceitfulness of riches choke them out. And what happened? They erred from the faith. They erred from the... Which, by the way, you can't even err from something you weren't in. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to try to cast all these people in hell. <laughs> they erred from the faith. And, oh me, they pierce themselves through with many sorrows. And then exhibit A, best example in, the, in all the Word of God is no doubt the rich younger of the right. Child of God thought that he was living godly. He said, I've, I've obeyed the whole law. And, and it's very dangerous. It's a very dangerous position for a child of God when they d develop this idea of self-righteousness that they think that they are living godly and they've created in their own mind they're living godly when they're actually living in rebellion to God. In his mind, I'd obeyed the whole law, but he couldn't look clearly in his life and say, no, I am covetous. And look what happened. The Lord loved him. He was a child of God. The Lord loved him. But what did he do? He went away sorrowful. He didn't walk in, he could have walked in fellowship with the Son of God here in this world. But what did he do? And notice that, that terminology, the deceitfulness of riches. Boy, it'll trick you. Riches will trick you. They're deceitful. They'll promise something they can't deliver. The deceitfulness of riches. And that, that rich young ruler, he did exactly what this verse said. He pierced himself through with many sorrows. Why? Because he did not purge out the thorn of the deceitfulness of riches. Okay? The pleasures of this life. The lust of this world. There's so many things that Satan is going to entice us with. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, talking about Moses, that he, he, he forsook uh, Egypt. Um, and he said he chose to suffer reproach with the people of God rather than endure the pleasures of sin for a seed. There can be a little bit of pleasure in the flesh for in sin for a little bit. But, but one of these days, child of God, you're going to reap what you sow. 
There can be pleasure for a little bit, but one of these days you're going to reap what you sow. And that ple- the word pleasures literally mean lust. But then, just in case, just in case you, you feel like you don't have any care in this world <laughs> that's bogging you down, you don't feel like you have any covetousness, uh, you, you're not enticed with lust at all, I love how the final a thorn is uh, just an all-encompassing, just in case I missed anything. The fourth one is the lust of other things. Well, there's a whole lot of other things that can get in the way, can't they? You know, just about everything in this world, if taken to an excess, can become sin. You understand that, right? Money is fine, but the love of money leads to, uh, leads to sin. Uh, we have to eat to live, but gluttony is a sin. So many other examples. All things in moderation are, are lawful. But all things not in moderation can be sinful. I mean, you've got to work, but you can't have to put that work in the right lens to put the kingdom of God first and foremost, right? There's not anything, I mentioned travel baseball, there's not anything wrong with playing baseball, but you've got to put the kingdom of God first and foremost. The lust of other things. There are so many things that are good and wholesome and valuable and beneficial in our life, but if we don't keep them in the right place, those other things can choke us out, just like the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world can, you see? The lust of other things. Now, John chapter 15, to try to close, we'll have to probably have to come back next week and highlight a few more things. <clears throat> but I want you to understand the severity of how much God expects fruit from His children. Okay, this is, this is serious. Because God is glorified, John chapter 15 and verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. God has called you unto good works. He has called you to bear fruit for what purpose? Our whole purpose in life is what? It's the glory of God. He's called you to bring forth much fruit to the glory of God. And just like it says, uh, when Jesus went to a fig tree, there wasn't any fig tree, uh, figs on that, uh, on that tree. And he said, this fig tree's cursed. It's never going to bring forth anything again. When Jesus comes to inspect your tree, he expects fruit. He expects fruit. And we can be in a very dangerous place if we let it be choked out. I think about Saul in the Old Testament a lot. That Saul was a child of God. But he, he, just like the rich young ruler, he had a distorted perception of his obedience. God told him to do something, and he said, yeah, I went, I did everything you said. When the fact of the matter is, he didn't kill the king, he didn't kill the best of the oxen, but in his mind, he self-justified and said, you know what, I was obedient, when it actually he was living in rebellion to God. And he did that multiple times, and finally the Lord said, all right, all right, Saul, not only am I going to take the kingdom from you, he did. He took the kingdom and he gave it to David. But Saul still desired. The whole reason he went to the witch at Endor was because he was going into battle and that heart of the child of God said, I need to seek the Lord's counsel in this. But the Lord said, I'm not going to answer you. I have shut up heaven of answer to your prayers, Saul. Why? Because of your perpetual rebellion and disobedience for me. And none of us are beyond being choked out and falling away to where we can have that manifest presence of God removed from us. Because understand, the thorny ground is not a person 
that showed up in the thorn. The, the prerequisite of a thorny ground is that you were bearing fruit. There is no 100-fold good ground child of God that is immune, if we are not diligent, that is immune from being choked out by the thorns of this world. God expects fruit from his trees, and when he goes to inspect it, John chapter 15 and verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the husband. Every branch in me, in me, this is a child of God, right? Every branch that is in the vine, if he beareth not fruit, he taketh it away. He taketh it away. Now he goes on to say, if you bring forth fruit, he'll purge it. We'll talk about that in the good ground. But then skip down here to verse 6. If a man abide not in me, if you're not walking with the Lord in that straight gate and narrow way, if you're not walking in communion with the Lord, but you choose to go live like the prodigal son who took the deceitfulness of riches and then engaged in the pleasures of this life. If you choose to live that life, he says, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now notice, Scripture is very simple and it's very clear when you just let Scripture say what it says, right? First of all, the branch is in me, and who is it that gathers them and casts them into the fire? Does God say when he comes back the second time that you weren't good enough, you didn't persevere, you didn't do good enough, enough good works, so therefore I'm going to cast you into hell? What does the scripture say? It says that men cast them into the fire. This is a temporal judgment, right? Men cast them into the fire. But I'll tell you, the Lord expects fruit. The Lord expects fruit from his children. You know, we will not stand before the great white throne of judgment and have to answer for our works when Jesus comes back the second time. The only answer that we're going to have is worthy is the Lamb. We're going to point him to the blood of Jesus. And there are references in Scripture to a judgment seat for God's children. And I believe that judgment seat is right here and right now. It's in your heart. It's in your conscience. And I'll tell you, there's nothing worse for a child of God than being like Jonah and feeling the flames of hell in your conscience because of your rebellion against God. Jonah said, out of the belly of hell, he felt the flames of hell of conviction in his conscience because of his rebellion against God. This is not that if you don't persevere, God's going to cast you in hell. No, for the child of God, there will be severe judgment. There will be severe conviction for the purpose of bringing you to repentance. That's evidence. You're being chastised. It's evidence that God loves you. But God expects fruit from his vine. He expects fruit from his children. And if we don't bring forth fruit, if we get choked out, we're going to live a very miserable life here in this world. And, I, and I've seen, I, I hate to say I've been around the block long enough now, but I have seen children of God that have got in Saul territory. We talked we talk, Hebrews chapter 6 last week. They've been partakers of the Holy Ghost. They have tasted of the good word of the Lord. They've tasted of the powers of the world to come. And they chose to live in sin. They chose to live in rebellion. And they say, well, I just don't have any peace. Well, of course you don't have any peace. You're living in rebellion to God. And if you do that long enough, the Lord said, all right, 
all right, I'm going to let you reap what you've sown. I've, I've given you a space for repentance. I've convicted you, and you've chose to continually rebel. All right, now you're going to get the full reward of what you've sown. God expects fruit from his children, and he also expects repentance. These thorns are going to come up in our life, and we have to have the sword of the Spirit, that strong blade, to cut them back. Because if we don't, if we, if we think we can take it easy, you're going to get choked out so quick. You're going to get choked out in this world. God calls us to bring forth fruit, and may God bless us to bring forth abundant fruit to the glory of God. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.